It's August 4th, 2020, and this is Pandemic Zen. I'm Paul Gerstein, uh, bringing us up to date with the pandemic. We are seeing much worse numbers over the past several weeks, particularly in the southern tier states, but spreading over many of the states in the country. Uh, very few areas now are spared from this uptick which coincides with a reopening of various aspects of, of our economy, people getting together in large groups, the failure of a federal response requiring mask wearing, social distancing, uh, the availability of much increased testing and rapidity of the results. So because uh, these things are not happening, it's just a predictable result. The epidemiologists have warned us of this repeatedly, but uh, the president, Donald Trump, seems to be ignoring their advice and continuing to propagate falsehoods. Because a significant proportion of our population is susceptible to these falsehoods, uh, wants to believe them, uh, has trust in Donald Trump and his proclamations. Uh, we just can't get a lid on this pandemic. Now, there isn't anything really fancy we have to do. We don't have to have a vaccine before we can get a lid on it. Uh, we don't have to have highly effective treatments. What we have to have is universal mask wearing when outdoors and in public indoors, the avoidance of large numbers of people in indoor settings, and social distancing. So just doing those few things would result in a flattening and crushing of the curve of increased cases. We're, we're now up to as many as 65,000 new cases per day in the United States and a total of over 155,000 deaths. So this is very serious and a significant worsening of our situation. Now, we can understand why a person here or a person there may want to lie about the pandemic or believe mistruths about the pandemic. But why do so many people fall prey to this? There's enough people who are listening to Donald Trump and his uh, group of sycophants and supporters that it is impacting the overall health of the United States. How is this possible? Why do people do this? How can people get so easily fooled? Well, what about the role of wishful thinking? Things are bad out there. People have lost their jobs or have been furloughed, underemployed. Uh, if you own a business, you're losing money. Perhaps you've gone out of business or you're about to go out of business. Uh, all our usual diversions and recreational activities have been impacted can't go to restaurants indoors, uh, bars are closed, beaches are a dangerous place to be, etc. So there's 
been a lot of painful realities created by this worldwide viral pandemic. And one way that human beings deal with a painful reality is to ignore it or to oppose it or to create some magical thinking around it uh, to almost force in their minds an alternative reality. So this happens not just to people without an a background in mindfulness meditation or Zen training. It happens to all of us. It's easy to be mindful when things are going okay. When being mindful of your current situation is not unpleasant, is not scary, is not dangerous, is not threatening. But when things are dangerous, threatening, scary, it's hard to maintain an open-minded awareness of our current actual situation without the interjection of beliefs, hopes, fears, etc. Now there was a famous Tibetan master around the year 1000, his name was Milarepa, and he had a saying that is uh, very well known in Tibetan Buddhism, the thing that he would tell his students is this, abandon hope and fear. Abandon hope and fear. What does this mean? Is it even possible to abandon hope and fear? And why would I want to abandon hope and fear? Isn't hope very useful? Doesn't it enable me to press forward in a difficult situation because I have an aspiration for something better and I truly believe that my efforts in this present moment will lead to something better? If I don't hope, don't I just fall into a despair state or don't I just give up? And uh, conversely with fear, if I don't experience fear in a dangerous situation. Uh, wouldn't I become incautious? Wouldn't I act stupidly, take risks that are avoidable because I don't have any fear? So isn't fear essential as well? Let's look at this even more closely. So Milarepa, I feel, is talking about states of mind. So when we talk about states of mind, we're not talking about some philosophical entity called hope or fear. We're talking about the action of hoping and the action of fearing. So it's passing through time with an attitude of grasping at some future potentiality which requires us in a way to reject this present situation. We're caught in hoping. I'm just hoping this will all get better. I'm hoping it will go away. And in that state of hoping, because we're not as aware of and mindful of the actuality of our present moment, 
we're trying to escape it into hope, we don't take actions that would benefit us and others. We're ignoring. We're perhaps engaged in magical thinking. And the same is true with fearing. So fear certainly uh, as a concept is useful, but how about the state of fearing, the continuous sense of anxiety, of foreboding, and this causing us to look away, not embrace, not observe what's actually happening. The conditions of hoping or fearing are a place to rest, to stop, to get stuck, to avoid direct observation, mindful, open-hearted observation of what actually is happening. There's a saying in the Diamond Sutra, Buddha said the following, allow mind having no fixed abode, no place of getting stuck and resting. Allow mind having no fixed abode to flow forth. The implication here is that the events of your everyday life are mind. They flow. They present, they appear. They're not outside. They're not something to be opposed, resisted, hoped against, and feared. They are you. So let's look at a koan from the Hekigan Roku. In English, that means the Blue Cliff Record. It's a collection of a hundred koan uh, that were compiled in the late Tang and early Sung dynasties. And these are wonderful koan. And this is koan number 43. The title of it is Tozan's No Cold or Heat. And I'll recite the case to you. A monk asked the master Tozan, When cold and heat come, how can we avoid them? Tozan said, Why don't you go where there is no cold or heat? The monk said, Where is the place where there is no cold or heat? Tozan said, When cold, let the cold kill you. When hot, let the heat kill you. It's important not to take the word kill as literal. It's not that you would die from cold or die from heat. What is this kind of killing you? What does that mean? What it means is killing the you that stands apart, that resists, that pushes away, that fears, that grasps for something better, not this, something different, the hoping part of you. So this hoping and fearing is a way of setting up a victim inside, someone opposing what is, who sees it outside as an assault. If only it would go away. If only I could get rid of it. But this 
place where there is no cold or heat. What does that mean, no cold or heat? When it's just cold, just cold, cold does not oppose you. When it's just hot, hot does not oppose a you. It's this word just only, as is. So mindfulness is being in a state of as is, in accord with reality, allowing reality to present. Doesn't mean that you do nothing. It just means that actions come from reality, not from ideas, notions, hopes, fears, but from your direct contact with what is. There is no better time to practice this than in adversity. This is the opportunity that adversity gives us. So we're in a pandemic. We have to wear masks. We have to avoid crowded places. We have to socially distance. We have to change the way we're used to doing things. This is something we perhaps don't want. But if we remain mindful, aware, flow with it, allow mind to flow forth, not to get stuck anywhere, then we have taken the opportunity of adversity and taught ourselves how not to stand apart, how not to oppose, how not to fear and hope. In a sense, the adversity kills off that entity standing apart, digging in its heels, engaging in wishful thinking, fearing and running away. To know all this, what we've just been discussing, is not bad, but it is not exactly the same as actually doing it, actually practicing it. And this is where seated meditation, zazen, comes into play. Uh, to be able to intently observe your breath or the flow of the present moment, whatever the particular practice may be, to observe it choicelessly, not daydreaming into hope, not reacting to all the hidden fears that will come up, but just flowing with the actuality moment after moment. This is practicing what we've been talking about. And it's really essential to do this kind of practice so that we can take what we have discussed today out of the realm of understanding and into the realm of actual experience. This is not a philosophical approach. This is not theory. This is sensory. It's waking up to, coming to our senses. So when we abandon hope and fear, we begin to come to our senses. And from there, we can see more clearly, 
and make better choices. Okay, so we'll end there today. So many questions haunting us. So many doubts attacked our love. Trusting the power